Hey, everybody. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Thanks for listening to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. I'm actually re-recording this intro uh, because I wanted to uh, let you know that we recorded this entire podcast episode, other than this part, prior to the the Silicon Valley Bank news breaking. So uh, we're still trying to assess that information. You can get the information that we do have up on Mass Device. Chris Newmarker and his team, Sean Hooley in particular, are reporting on uh, some of the companies that are thought to be exposed. Uh, that's information that's being put out by the banks. And uh, we're all talking to people and trying to cobble together a better understanding of what's going on. But this episode uh, mostly is is pre-news or is pre-news. So uh, please uh, understand that as you listen. So uh, we would love to uh, understand how you're feeling. So please reach out to us on uh, LinkedIn, shoot us a DM, let us know. A few bits of housekeeping. We're keeping the early bird rate uh, open. It's going to be open until Sunday at 11.59 at this point. I had done that just as kind of a thank you for being a Device Talks podcast listener. I wanted to give you folks a little bit of uh, inside discount and, and benefits because uh, if you're listening on uh, on to the podcast on this weekend, you're most likely a subscriber. And I really am truly grateful that you are. So please do join us in Boston, May 10th and 11th. Go to devicetalks.com. You can register for that for $3.95 until uh, the end of Sunday, Sunday, 11.59. While you're there, please register for uh, the upcoming Device Talks Tuesdays. It's being put on by our really good friends, Resonetics. They put on a great Device Talks Tuesday every time they do one. It's very impressive. This one is about microfluidics. It's uh, how microfluidics laminates support the growing market need for diagnostics and point-of-care testing. So uh, please do check that out. And uh, again, that is free. It is informative. You can ask questions. You can build your brand, build your skill set, and you can watch it live or on demand. So go to devicetalks.com and register for that. Uh, Other than that, uh, we'll have an Intuitive Talks podcast coming out next week as well. And uh, more news coming, Uh, some exciting news at Device Talks, actually. So we'll share that next week as well. All right. Well, that is it. Again, I just want to explain sort of the timing of this. I'm recording this at 6.19 p.m. on the East Coast. And uh, just want to let you know that uh, this is where we're at. And uh, please uh, keep keep in touch. Let us know how you're doing. Reach out uh, on LinkedIn uh, or Twitter or email. Uh, We'd love to hear... uh, how this impacts you. And hopefully next week we'll have a better understanding of where we are and we'll have some insights here on the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Marker, how are you, sir? Hey, doing doing well, Tom. Doing well. <laughs> I like the, on, I mean, as well. I like I, the, I, long the, uh, the long pause. The long pause. How do I answer that question? It's been a it's been an interesting week for for it's us. It's been an interesting week. A couple yeah. of weeks, actually. I was, yeah. I, I was being I was being Minnesotan. I was being very like uh, <laughs> like yeah, just doing doing great. That's like I'm you know, always doing the great. snow outside. Shelling the snow. We had heavy snow earlier this week. I'm like, yeah, just doing doing great. Like. <laughs> I hate the heavy snow. Oh, yeah. We had some heavy snow last oh, week, but like cement. <laughs> we've been talking a lot about uh, the last two podcasts. That two out of three podcasts have been focused on the layoffs that have been going on, and you've been doing yeah. a great job at Mass Device covering uh, some of the challenges that's facing the medtech industry. Mm-hmm. I think what's been kind of real for all of us is we spend so much time talking about the companies and the products, 
Um, and sort of the, the yeah. people have been kind of just an assumed part of this ecosystem. But now we're talking about the people. We're talking about people losing their jobs. We're talking about people yeah. you know, in the middle of their careers having to restart. Uh, this stuff's real. And uh, you definitely feel for the folks out there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just... I mean, you know, companies have the you know present the reasons for why they're doing things um, or don't. Yeah, you know, but, well, that's um, that's an interesting point, and that's something I've been thinking about too. Uh, you certainly understand the fiduciary responsibility of executives, and we're hopping right into it. We're not talking about sausages or anything right now. We're getting right into the conversation. No, no, no. Uh, this is not a sausage week. This is not a sausage week. Um, but I'd have to think if you are if you're a person who's been part of a a, a massive job reduction and there's no public acknowledgement of that by the company i understand why there's not the companies are trying they have fiduciary responsibility to manage the stock price they're trying to you know manage image i get it but i'd have to think it's would be somewhat you'd like to you'd like to have that out there if you were if you were part of the layoff like you'd like some sort of public yeah. acknowledgement that this is not because of me this is not because something i did it's just the company that's something and you'd like you'd like it to be reported somewhere at least I, I think I, I mean, I've, as I mentioned before, I mean, I, it's like companies have been complaining about like, uh, you know, quiet quitting, you know, yeah, I right. mean, like, I mean, yeah. you know, employees might not like a uh, quiet layoffs. I mean, that's no. not, a, not, not good. And it's going to be interesting to see how, and I, I was going to say I, I was part of a layoff too, but you know, it was like 15 people. Yeah. So you're not going to have a headline about that. Right. Uh, but if it's, if you're you got hundreds or thousands of people being laid off in sort of a piecemeal way, I think it would be beneficial to the people affected to have some sort of public acknowledgement. I think what's going to be interesting too. I imagine yeah. it helps you in like looking for a new position yeah. too, because there's just like no questions. And you're like, yeah, I got, you know, laid off at, you know, the, the big layoff at like J and J or, yeah. you know, or, uh, or Phillips. And they're like, Oh, of course. Oh yeah, of course. You know, there's or, no, like, like, why were you, why were you, you in the, I mean, are how you know they they're like of course. I mean, it's not you. It's you know right. the, this company made a big layoff, and you were just you know, like something on a spreadsheet that you know got crossed right. off. You know, but. or or if you're you know if you and I hear of a company that's laying off some editorial talent, we might like, wow, some of those people available. Let's check it out. Or so and so used to work for that company. Yeah. Let me check in with so and so and see what you know see what so and so wants to do and just. It just opens up opportunities, I think, when there is a public acknowledgement. And it's going to be interesting to see totally. with this uh, younger generation of folks who live their life out there on social media, more so than you and I, how much of that will remain quiet. Because we, we do see a lot of posts from a lot of big companies of folks who, hey, I'm no longer mm -hmm. at this company, you know, looking for opportunities. Um, and you and I don't want to build articles around that, but the news is out there. So... You may not have the headline with the numbers with the number of affected in, in the headlines, but the news is certainly getting out there as your editorial team has been uh, doing a great job of tracking. For good or bad, the younger people seem, uh, you know, less less afraid. Yep. And, uh, yep. you know, I, I think companies companies should take note of that. You know, it's, you can't just sit around and manage manage this like you could in the past. You know, um, you know, you should, you know, just, you know, just I mean, I, I think. Companies sometimes have to unfortunately do this, you know, and announce it, give the reasoning, like move on, you know. Yep, that's, absolutely. But but yeah, I mean, I'm just, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, on one side, I I feel I feel good that at Mastiff I've been really working hard to keep on top of the news about what's going on. I I I I hope I think we're helping 
in the industry at the same time it just it does feel bad to see of course you know so many people doing this work you know getting laid off yeah. you know to you know to see these like tough times in this in this industry that i i've really uh you know you know really you know come to you know i i i really root for it i mean it's a it's a good industry it's it's doing some good so and and I think you neither neither of us is, is disparaging the companies either. I mean, a lot of this is not no. due to their decisions. It's a lot of it is macroeconomic conditions out of their control. No one enjoys laying anyone off. Everyone wants to be growing and growing and growing. So this is by no means we're not condemning anybody. Uh, just sort of I speaking, think during, speaking to the truth. Yeah, I mean, it just it just feels like kind of the feeling I have is that you know when the pandemic happened, you know there was a lot more of like let's just stick with it and manage our way through this, and you know, but you know now, you know we're kind of moving to this kind of whatever era, post pandemic era, and you know it's just the the economic conditions, you know, there's just some some more drag, more expenses, and you know these big companies are just uh, are just you know trying to figure out how to navigate through it, yeah. you know, yep. get to a better place. And Joe Mullings, who we had on last week, uh, he made a point about uh, about non-competes and how they shouldn't be part of the severance package process. That has resonated with a lot of folks. Joe yeah. took a video from our interview. He's put it out. It's obviously on our podcast, and it's already uh, – that podcast is 2x our normal plays at this time, maybe a little less than 2x, but it's a very popular podcast. So folks should check that out if they haven't heard it yet. Uh, Joe is totally. – Joe is in the room where when it happens, he hears a lot of things. And uh, most importantly, he's not afraid to sort of share his, his points of view on things. So uh, so check that out. If you uh, right now, the uh, Federal Trade Commission actually is uh, they are uh, considering a rule to uh, ban non-compete clauses, actually. And I just pulled up a news release from the other day where they're saying they were extending the uh, public comment period until april april 19th so you just google it up you know like uh if you're if you're someone who feels passionately about this in the industry you know go go on there and file, file a letter let them know what this means to you yeah no chris send me that link and we'll put that in the show notes so totally all right so uh yeah keep your eyes obviously on mass device uh chris and the team are are, cl- are really closely watching <laughs> All that's going on, reporting on it, most more importantly. And uh, if you have some insights or stories to share, reach out to either of us or more likely Chris, but either of us on LinkedIn, let us know what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, let's let's stay on top of this. Um, You know, if uh, if if stuff like this is going down in your company, um, you know, you know, yeah, give me a message. You know, I'm happy to, you know, talk to talk to people anonymously, you know, to, to get something out. I mean, frankly. I don't even need to use somebody as a source if there's like an internal company communication and they can just like, you know, take a picture on their and their on their phone and send it to me. I mean, that that could be it'd be the basis for a for a news story potentially. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like yeah, definitely if you want to help get the word out, like let me know. Yeah. But uh anyway, Tom, we could launch into our I guess we'll launch into yeah, the Yeah, just one, one more one like, more thing. I was just thinking, you know, we do we've been doing the fast the fastball pitches where people can record their their pitches for their startups. Uh, I was trying to think how device talks could help. One thing we could do if you're if you're a company that's looking to hire and you want to record uh, a message, letting folks know who you're looking for, what type of person you're looking for, and you want that on the podcast, uh, shoot me a DM and I'll send you a link, and you just record it right online, yeah. and we'll just if we get three or four of those, we'll have a little bit of classified ad in the podcast. I think that would be uh, that fantastic. Would be great. So let's do that too. Okay. Yes. I mean, if mark- I if I was running a, a startup, you know, in the medical device space. 
I mean, if, if, if I could yeah. find some cash around, I would totally be, I mean, I would look at this as an opportunity if, you know, that, you know, there could be some really qualified people who could yep. help take my business to the next level. I mean, I'd, I'd use this as an opportunity. And you and I were just talking with uh, someone from a, a major medical institution, we'll say, who uh, sees this as an opportunity maybe to pick up some, some great talent yeah. uh, to add to their team. Totally. So, so there's. All There's right. opportunity out there. There uh, is. Like, let's, people, you can have some hope. There's, there will be hope. There will but, be hope. All right. So I guess let's let's launch into the New Markers Newsmakers. Sounds great, Chris Newmarker. What is number five on this week's New Markers Newsmakers? Well, number five on the list, um, we've got, uh, you know, Medtronic uh, releasing, you know, new results around their, uh, you know, pulse select, uh, pulse field ablation system. And when we posted the story on LinkedIn, I mean, we were getting some comments that the uh, results were just e- even better than than people expected. I mean, they're considered like really, really good results around the safety and the efficacy of the system. Um, the, the, I think this was one of the top news stories to come out of the uh you know the uh, the the ACC twenty three WCC uh, you know conference uh, conference this week, um, and you know I, I'd also have to mention that J and J's Biosense Webster announced that they have uh, you know started their own clinical trial around their uh, pulse field ablation system. Mm-hmm. So I mean it's uh it 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 doesn't pulse field ablation is non thermal, but I mean it's looking like a it's looking like a pretty hot space, um, you know, and it looks like it could. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I know we had a big, uh, big panel about it at uh, Device Talks Boston, uh, you know, last year. You know, just talking about like all the potential around it that it can, you know, like it, 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 it it's, 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 it seems to be good at damaging the cardiac tissue that could be a problem that's causing the AFib without damaging, you know, the tissue around it. You know, so there's just a lot of stuff going, exciting stuff going on in the space around it. You know, and and here, here's the hoping this is going to like, you know, really boost how we can treat treat AFib. That's people. great. And we'll, we'll have yeah. uh, at, at Device Talks Boston this year, we'll have uh, Tim Lasky. He's Vice President of Research and Business Development for Cardiac Ablation Solutions from Medtronic. He'll be awesome. uh, giving a presentation there. So uh, make sure you uh, you uh, register. And as I mentioned yeah. at the, up at the top, uh, because you're uh, listening to this podcast, you get a little, little couple extra days of our early bird rate. Uh, I wouldn't wait too long. It's probably going to shut down on saturday or sunday so that would be what we're on the 10th so the 11th i would register by the 11th and you'll still get in for for 395 dollars so um fantastic so uh check it out all right chris newmark what's number four awesome. in the new markers well, you know number four on the list uh like go to mass device and there's actually uh like a whole roundup produced by our associate editor sean hooley about the biggest uh, cardiac cardiology tech stories to come out of ACC 23 this year. So on top of pulse field ablation, we you know, have, uh, you know, news about, uh, you know, uh, Abbott's MitraClip and TriClip. We've got, uh, you know, some some interesting stuff about, you know, Taver and you know, iRhythm had some, uh, you know, some exciting, uh, you know, news about their, uh, their ECG, you know, like when it came to the research around it as well, like at uh, their, their, you know, at, you know at, at the show. So, you know, you can get a whole, whole nice roundup, you know, of, you uh, you know, of, of you know, some of the big news to come out of there. You know, you can feel a little little FOMO if you didn't make it to <laughs> ACC uh, 23WCC. And, uh, you know, I'd also have to add, we've had AOS now going on this week, and we've been reporting on ortho device news out of that. And, uh, you know, I this is Friday. I'm planning to, you know, get a roundup of uh, AOS top news out later today. So watch out for that as well. So we're, like, covering everything coming out of these big conferences. 
I've, I've seen Sean's article uh, shared a couple of times on LinkedIn by folks outside of our company. So it's getting a lot of play and uh, you're going to see yeah. what's going on at AOS. That's always, that's always a, a fun conference. I like that one, but uh, yeah. all right, let us roll on to number three, Chris Neuerger. I jumped the gun a little bit, you know, actually uh, <laughs> like, yeah, the number, number three story was Biosense Webster. Yeah. So you know, they got the, uh, you know, the uh, thermocool smart touch uh, SF ablation catheter. Um, but, you know, like another interesting thing about it is, is that, this uh this uh smart touch sf it's 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 a dual ablation so so if you're performing the procedure you could toggle between pulsed field and uh and radio frequency and that's that's uh that 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 that's a that's a feature that you also see on uh on, on the tech from a Farah, which uh medtronic acquired for one billion last year so this, mm-hmm. this really seems like a way that i mean j and j's you know biosense they're big big player in that rf ablation space and uh this uh you know this a uh, thermocool smart touch sf really seems to be their uh you know their one of the ways they're they're answering you know medtronic and boston scientific and such when it comes to this uh, new pulse field ablation space i mean they're, they're definitely seem to be approaching it i mean we had i mean we even had um you know celine martin the you know who, who who's like portfolio jj includes biosense like it's saying at our device talk event west event last year you know that you know that they they definitely they they, they kind of saw a saw the pulse field as kind of like this new chapter in the ablation mm-hmm. you know book and so they're really looking at like how do we put this in with all of our other offerings so they can we can really uh you know provide this uh, really nice nice suite of products and services to help help doctors treat afib great stuff all right chris Newmark, yeah. let's roll on to uh on to number two well, you know, number number two on the list, um, our MDO managing editor Jim Hammerand, uh, he helped out a bit on Mass Device, and uh, you know, he uh, he caught that uh, you know there was a lot of uh, stuff publicly available available online about uh, you know what Medtronic's been doing with its uh, early retirement program, and we're reporting just, uh, I mean, at this point we've got like over nineteen thousand medical device workers let go just by our own count of Mass Device reporting in the industry wide. Yep. Yep. Yeah, industry wide, um, you know, no no announcement from Medtronic, but they did talk about significant expense reductions. And I, I thought Jim did a good job, like just pointing out one way that Medtronic at this point is, you know, doing doing expense reductions that they, you know, are you know, you know, just they just wrapped up a, a whole early retirement incentives program. Um, you know, it was interesting too in the article, like the way that program was being run, like the areas of the business they were not offering incentives to, which would kind of suggest where, you know, Medtronic, no matter what, would not want to cut, you know, um, stuff like like supply chain, you know, which, you know, has been a challenge for them and a lot of companies. They don't want to be, mm-hmm. you know, letting go of experienced people in supply chain or cybersecurity or whatnot, you know. So, I mean, it's just, just some interesting news and, yeah, we'll just uh, – See see what happens. Uh, see what happens next over there. Yeah, no, that'll be one to watch. I've certainly seen a few people on LinkedIn from Medtronic who are no longer there. Um, so you know, as I said, yeah, r- the reports get out uh, sometimes in drips. Uh, so we'll, we'll, I know your your team will keep an eye on that, and we'll see what uh, what's to come. Yeah. All right. What Absolutely. is uh, what is the big number one news, Chris Newmark? Well, number one on the list, um, you know, our our reporting. You know, kind of like broke this news about uh, you know like uh, Johnson and Johnson uh, letting go of at least uh, one thousand jobs. You know, including you know there was a uh, 
you know, a, a LinkedIn post from a, from a higher up at J&J talking about, um, you know, the company folding, uh, you know, it's, um, it's sports medicine business, mm -hmm. uh, you know, into, into shoulder reconstruction. Just, just a few days later, we, you know, we actually, you had Joe Mallings on last week, you know, he was like referring to the, you know, surgical robotic cuts a bet at J&J. Mm -hmm. &J, and then, you know, you, you can catch, um, you know, state economic development departments, you know, um, employment departments, uh, the companies need, if you're doing a big layoff, you got to tell the the state you're doing it and that's public record. And, you know, just a few days later, there were some notices in California about, uh, you know, um, you know, like nearly 350, th nearly 350 surgical robotics job jobs at uh, Johnson Johnson cut out in California. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, they're they're right. There's there's stuff going on over at J and J with cuts. Yep. No, well, it was something that we were we're hearing about, and again, uh, LinkedIn is a place where people let their news be known. So it's some something yeah. we saw. But we also you also got a comment from uh, from J and J, uh, not necessarily acknowledging, but not not disputing uh, the layoffs of the numbers yeah. or anything like that. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, you do this reporting and, you know, you tell, you let the companies know about it and, you know, they weren't, uh, you know, that, that was their chance to say, say no, no mass device, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're not reporting. I mean, they, uh, you know, they just said they're, uh, you know, constantly assessing ways to be more innovative and, uh, and competitive. So, and as, so, as and, then, and then, I'm sorry, as you laid out in the article or as, as was laid out. And as we said earlier, just kind of underlining a bit. It's not just a med tech thing. J and J is facing uh, drug patents expiring, which is going to cost them yeah. billions. They've got the consumer uh, lawsuits that we've talked about, and uh, yeah. and just the, the normal cost of doing business. Interest rates are up, costs are up, supply chain continues to be a problem. So uh, this is uh, it's all part of a, a, a bigger uh, problem that med tech companies yeah. are facing. Yeah, it's not just yeah, it's not like a. It's not just a med tech problem. I mean, I'd probably say that across the industry. I mean, there's some layoffs. Like, I mean, Phillips letting go of thousands of workers. Yeah. At least they were like, well, they've got an awful recall, and yeah. you know, you know. But I mean, you know, I I think a lot of these, you know, it's uh, it's 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 not exactly med tech specific. I mean, it's I mean it it reflects some of the problems that we see at hospitals, especially in the U.S. I right. Mean, yeah, we had Henry, yeah, we had Henry Sock on last week, I was going to say, and he outlined why hospitals are struggling so much and why they don't even have the bandwidth sure. necessarily look at new technologies. They're just trying to survive. So um, they're just trying to staff. They're trying to keep their nurses. They're trying to keep beds open. So there's not there's no time to, uh, to necessarily worry or consider new technologies. And also right. the, the cybersecurity risks of bringing in new tech. They're just being overly cautious. So there are there are. Right. The term headwinds is overused, but there are a lot of industry headwinds facing facing medtech. So, right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can just list them all off: inflation, you know, yeah. the strong dollar making it hard to do business overseas, the supply chain, you know, the all the problems the hospitals are having. Oh, and then China's trying to, you know, if you're doing mm -hmm. any business yep. in China, China's trying to, you know, lower the prices. The national government is. You know, really like taking becoming a lot more proactive in their, their health system on how stuff gets priced. So I mean, it's just uh, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot that uh, you know companies are trying to work through, and you know, and it's, it almost seems unfortunately, if you're a bigger med tech company, then uh, you know you have bigger problems. Yep. Too like with this kind of stuff. So but, that's um, right. All right, Chris Newmarker, you'll keep an eye on you'll keep an eye on everything, and folks should uh, again reach out via LinkedIn or if they have your email. Uh, we will. 
stay yep. on top of this and yes like let me know if uh you know if, if you're if you know stuff you know always uh always happy always happy to help and hear from people and you know and uh you know see what we could do to like get you know get the news more out across the industry about what's going on absolutely well mike Deneen, welcome to the podcast thank you thanks for having me excited to have a conversation with you. Yeah, I'm excited to learn about uh, Tayo Cardiovascular. You had some recent uh, news, fundraising wise, which we'll get into uh, in a few minutes. But uh, as always, let's start the podcast off focused on, on you, our guest. What was it that drew you to the medical device industry? When I was in college, I was actually pre-med and uh, for a long uh -huh. time wanted to go to med school. But I discovered kind of early on that I just didn't want to go through the residency and fellowship training. So I thought I would do something kind of a mixture of science and business because I figured that would be interesting and I was a biology major. So I didn't know what that meant early on. So I started out in uh, the pharmaceutical sales industry. So I spent five years doing that, but really discovered that I wanted to have more hands-on interaction with physicians and, and ultimately sort of be part of the patient process. And so I was fortunate enough to join a company called DVI, which is Devices for Vascular Intervention. And it was one of the guidance companies. Early on, it was one of the Eli Lilly companies. And so uh, we became kind of a sister company to companies like ACS and everything. And that was coronary atherectomy. It was a John Simpson company, legendary cardiologist. And so that was my first introduction to interventional cardiology. And I, and I loved it. I mean, it was just, it was like I had found my home. And that's really what got me into devices. What was it like back then? Not to be like, tell me about the day back then. But this was, <laughs> I started covering in 98. I remember 96, yeah. there were a lot of the IPOs. And before that, it just seemed like there was, uh, you had John Simpson, you had Tom Fogarty, you just had so much innovation and, and wide open greenfields to, to run through. Did it feel that way? Did you feel like you were at the beginning of something big at the time? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was still kind of at the early ages of cardiology, yeah. and, uh, interventional cardiology, and it was really exciting. So if you looked at the, the amount of the, uh, of the venture dollars that went into, of the total percentage of venture dollars, a lot of it went into medical devices, a high percentage of it went into medical devices. Um, and while there's more investment in medical devices now than there was then, the percentage has decreased because tech has really grown kind of dramatically. But it really felt like, you know, you're in the beginning of a startup culture and, and time. People were really excited about doing new interventions. Uh, it was just prior to when the stents came on the scene. And when the stents came on the scene, that was another huge uh, change. And so it was there was a time of great change in cardiology and, and a lot of technology innovation. So it was really, really exciting, I think. And you were working in marketing for a time. You're at Radiant Medical. You're at Boston Scientific with Target Therapeutics. And then you uh, sort of pivoted to entrepreneur and residence at two firms I hadn't heard in a while, but the great firms, Three Arch and yeah. Sprout Group. What led you to sort of the venture startup realm? Yeah. So uh, I had been working at, uh, as you mentioned, in Target Therapeutics. We were just acquired by Boston Scientific. One of our managers, senior VPs at uh, Target, introduced me to one of the partners at 3Arch, Mark Wan. And you know, at the time, they were starting companies kind of from scratch, kind of similar to what Shifa Med does today. Mm -hmm. And um, it sounded really, really fun. So I'd always dreamed of helping start a company. So they were able to seed us with a small amount of capital. We hired you know, an engineer and, and the engineer and myself kind of figured out what that company would look like. And that was, that was just my first taste of the startup life. And it was super exciting. Radiant, unfortunately, didn't turn out <laughs> great, but it, it was a it was an exciting time for sure. Yeah, what do you draw away from experiences like that? And we don't need to get into the exact outcome, but looking back at times that didn't work out as you hoped, do you draw more lessons from those? It's kind of cliche to, to say that, but do you draw more lessons from those things that don't work out than from those that do? I don't know if you draw more lessons. You definitely draw lessons. That's for yeah. sure. I, I, I think 
the thing about it is that you have to be really careful when you're going into a white space. And I think Radiant went into really a type of medicine and a type of therapy that has not been done before in medical devices. And that's always high risk. And you always have to take that into consideration when you're entering a new space or starting a company. And in our case, we started out trying to do hypothermia for stroke. Stroke is obviously, it's a very big and important thing to solve. Solving it with hypothermia is a really kind of revolutionary concept with that's kind of laden with clinical outcomes and everything. So I think that was more my takeaway than anything else is like, be careful when you're stepping into a new type of medical device. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it, but you have to really be, take that into consideration. Do you think that's more the case now than it was before that healthcare is even more resistant to technology coming into places where it wasn't, or is it, is it penetrated everywhere that, that there are no more sort of untapped areas? No, I, I think there there definitely are. I mean, yeah. I think there's plenty of, of things to be untapped, but it's just a different type of risk when you yeah. enter uh, a new type of device. Uh, and it's different type of risk that we take at Chiefamed, for example. We really like to go into areas where the clinical outcomes are relatively understood. And so we try to make better devices and solve clinical needs with better devices. So it's it does. I, I actually think that the bigger home runs are in these kind of white spaces these areas where you know you can really inter- change medicine dramatically with a new type of treatment, but it's just that that becomes a little bit more of a basic science undertaking than sometimes is you know you have to just take that into consideration when you start a company. Interesting. And I'm fast forwarding a little bit. I see you were VP Development of Director of Clinical Research at Covidian, but Maya Medical is mentioned, and that's another name I hadn't heard in a while. Yeah. So you were in the early early days of, of Reynolds Innovation when you you were part of the build up before the somewhat sudden crash. Yeah, that was a really exciting time. So that was my first time that I had worked with Chief Ahmed and with Amr Salahia, who's the founder oh, okay. of Chief Ahmed. We met through a mutual friend and we started working actually at, in his house. And this is kind of how we my introduction to Chief Ahmed. So literally, I would show up every morning and work out of the kitchen. And then we had 15 or 20 people working out of the house until the neighbors complained and we had actually had to move out of the house. <laughs> so that was my, those damn that entrepreneurs. Was <laughs> yeah. So it's a typical set. It was like a complete Silicon Valley experience kind of doing this. And it was, it, it, I really relished those times and, and they were really fun and interesting and, and, and stressful times. Actually, <laughs> I'm a real innovation kind of fanboy. I remember the buildup and I remember those, the, yeah. the disappointing news, the simplicity trial. And now, now we're seeing it sort of come back up again. But I remember all those companies that sort of shuttered their rental innovation programs, all but a couple. That seemed like an unusual experience to me. How, how was that for you? And it must have been disappointing because there was a lot of hope and promise behind everyone who was undertaking rental innovation. Yeah. And I think this kind of points out to what I was mentioning before. Like whenever you enter a new therapeutic era with a new type of technology, there's a lot of risk. And I think the early the early trials for renal innovation, I think, were solidly run trials. And I think as the subsequent trials came on, uh, you know, they expanded the therapy and I think it became a little bit kind of less controlled or whatnot. And I, I think renal innovation is real. It works. I think it's just a matter of designing the right trial, designing the right therapy. And I think that's what we're seeing today. So yeah. I, I'm glad to see it come back. Maybe you can fix me, Mike. I keep switching between renal and renal. <laughs> Should yeah. I go with renal? Is renal the right way? I have no idea. Uh, I always <laughs> say renal, but no idea. Yeah. At least you're consistent. Let's jump ahead to, to Shifamed. You mentioned it a few times. You're an executive yeah. residence there uh, in 2017. I know I've talked to a few folks there in, in recent years, and uh, I'm hoping to get them involved with our, our West meeting, which is coming in October. Tell us a bit of how, how Shifamed works. Incubators are sort of 
come and gone, but some have really stuck around, and, and Shifa Med is one of those. And I don't think it yeah. is the right term. I don't want to upset anybody. I know people some, sometimes are sensitive <laughs> about what you call their organizations. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Shifa Med is a really unique place, and it's a super exciting place. I'm really privileged to have come upon it. You know, as I mentioned, I met Amr Salahia about 10 years ago, started working with him at Maya. But the way the way Shifa Med works is that Amr basically starts a, a company without knowing what it's going to do and funds it with a small amount of capital. Then a small team, usually a business-oriented person and a technology-oriented person, get together and start to look at clinical needs. And it could be anything. It could be in cardiology. It could be in ophthalmology. Although most of our companies are cardiology and ophthalmology focused, we look at clinical needs and then come up with devices. So we don't typically in-license technology. We actually come up with the technology ourselves. So once that process has been completed, we, we have a clinical need identified, we have a solution identified, and we've done some initial work from a prototype standpoint. Then we go and we fund the companies with sort of venture capital, normal venture capital uh, channels. And we have several partners that we work with, TCP and Cormorant Capital, that end up being our, our kind of foundational investors and, and a number of smaller investors as well that are also quite important to what we're doing, like AMED Ventures and whatnot. But that's kind of how we function. And so at any given time, there's a new company being formed. You know, Amr is a prolific entrepreneur. He, he loves to start new companies. It's in his blood. It's in his DNA. And it's also what we all like to do. So it's a great environment for that. So now Shifa Med has six actively funded companies, two more that are kind of in the wings waiting to be uh, sort of go on to the next level. And all the companies are pretty close to one another. So we're within walking distance to one another. So there's ample opportunity for collaboration. You have questions, you want to brainstorm with somebody. You know, there's not a lot of collaboration on the technical teams, but if there's a technical issue that someone runs into, there's always somebody that you can kind of call up and, and ask for an opinion about through. So it's it's a it's a really interesting and unique environment. And you're in an office park, so the neighbors aren't complaining about you, which is great. <laughs> exactly. So now we have our own offices. I mean, that's one of the things that's changed so much about Chief Med. We start out in in you know, Amr was running three companies out of his house. It's really kind of a special and unique thing. I mean, it doesn't happen in many parts of the no. world. And now we're running six companies and they're much more sort of established and they have, each of them have their own offices. So it's it's been it's been really, really exciting to be part of that. Correct me if I if I misheard. So you're starting the companies before you're identifying the products and sort of then you're building the companies around the problem and then working on the products? Yeah, yeah. So, so typically the way it works is that an entity will be formed, call it NUCO five or NUCO yep. eight or whatever you want to call it, uh, with some capital and no idea what it's going to work on. And then usually one to three individuals will start working on a problem and say, hey, you know, like in our case, we're going to look at mitral valve disease. What can we do there? And you get a small team together. You talk to physicians. You understand the clinical needs. You understand where the gaps are, and then. It usually takes somewhere between six and, and sometimes as long as 18 months to figure this out. And then once you file that IP and have done some you know, prototypes, then you go ahead and start, then really start the company and, and raise real money. So have there been instances where, where a solution or, or product hasn't been identified and, 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 things have decided, and things have been shut down? And I wonder, what is it like, when do you know you've exhausted every avenue when you're kind of going into the space with an objective, but no clear path in, in mind? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And I think it's those types of questions are core to what we end up having to decide. So in the case of Tioga, for example, the predecessor organization was actually formed back in 2013, I think it was. 
And Shifa Med, the entity, looked at several different spaces before we decided to go forward as Tioga into the mitral valve space. So a lot of times these entities exist and they're just a vehicle for exploring innovation and exploring new spaces. So as we go through that process, it becomes apparent with usually within three months, sometimes it takes as long as nine months if you have something. And sometimes you go down a path and then you discover that you don't have a good device solution or you don't have an IP sort of angle or you don't have you know, really a commercial exit identified or, or that the acquirers are not sort of interested in, in the space or whatever it is. It could be a, some combination of all those things. And you end up killing the concept before it gets to the real funding stage. So, so that happens all the time at Chief of Med. So we start things, look at spaces, go back, and then, re, you know, then go down another path. And that happened several times in the predecessor company for Tioga before we got really excited about structural heart and the mitral valve. And that was before my, I was even at Tioga. So I really? was at Kalila at the time. Yeah. So, <laughs> so let's talk about, we've talked about process and, and I, I could keep talking about it because I just love the, the entrepreneur story and the innovative process. But tell us about Tioga Cardiovascular. We understand what you set up to do. You have, a, you yeah. have an approach. What are you doing? So I had just left uh, Kalila slash Abbott slash Tarumo, I, I think, as you mentioned before. We were acquired by Abbott. Abbott had to sell us because of they they purchased St. Jude and, and actually I don't think we covered Eagle. that part. I think we were doing yeah. that before. So yeah. So how did you talk, yeah. talk a bit about that if you'd like fill that out? Yeah. So after Maya Medical, Amr asked me to run Kalila Medical, which is a, a electrophysiology sheath company. So it was a competitor to the St. Jude Agilis. So we got that approved, got into humans, sold it to Abbott in 2016, and a few months after the Abbott acquisition. Abbott announced that it was acquiring St. Jude Medical. And so that was exciting, but it meant that given the size of the transaction that it had to go through FTC review. And and one of the things that the FTC found was that they they mandated that several of the businesses, including Kalila, be divested. So so we were divested to Terumo and Terumo picked us up in early 2017. We still had some milestones to meet. So I stayed on with Terumo for a while and then once we had met all our milestones with the second generation product, I took a bit of time off, four or five months off, nice. and then came back to Shifa Med, and we started looking at forming companies again. And this was right after Amr had sold Apama Medical to Boston Scientific, and he was looking to start something new. So we started looking at different things to start. And you know, we looked at probably a good dozen, maybe 18 different sort of areas and concepts to start. And in late 2018, we had met Azim Latib, one of our one of our very close advisors, a structural cardiologist from Italy and now from New York City. And he really encouraged us to come up with a better mitral valve solution. You know, he he had mentioned to us that he didn't feel like there was any of you know that there were still massive clinical needs in TMVR, and it would be a, a very noble thing and an important thing for Shifamed to pursue as a TMVR company. So Amr having started a company before called Sodra Medical, knew something about the valve space. And so we we all decided to, to start a, a mitral valve concept. So we started out with, again, with a small team, like I mentioned before, we had a small group of engineers and we started thinking, brainstorming, talking to physicians, including Azim, and coming up with what we thought was going to be a better way of doing the mitral valve. And we figured all that out in sort of late 2018, early 2019, and then funded the company through a Series A led by TCP in April 2019. And that's really kind of how we got our start. And uh, that was that was a genesis. Yeah. 
what field are you entering? Talk about the the existing products out there currently that uh, that are being used. I, I think a lot a lot of people know that TMVR is a is a quite a crowded space. But I think you know without getting overly technical, because we can talk for hours about TMVR. I, I I like to boil it down to three things when it comes to TMVR. One is the French size and the size of the introducer that goes into the body. It ha- of course, it has to be transeptal. That sort of goes without saying. But many of the introducer sizes are still quite large. And we are shooting for a less than 30 French system. Like at the end of the year, we'll be at 28 French. And this is a true OD. So number one, that's a big and important unmet need. That means less vascular complications, uh, less issues at the septum, et cetera. Number two is ease of use. And ease of use is a really hard to define thing. But many of these procedures are famously complicated. And so we're trying to utilize existing muscle memory, if you will, whether it be like a procedure, like a mitral clip or, or whatnot to do our procedure. So we've, we really are focused on ease of use. And the number three is LVOT obstruction. So the LVOT is a left ventricular outflow tract. And it's basically the mitral valve sits right next to the aortic valve. And if you have a big bulky mitral valve in that space, you can actually block the blood from leaving the body or leaving the heart rather. So from a clinical need standpoint, that means that you have to make a shorter valve or, or a more compact valve mostly and to keep the valve out of that space. And so those are the three things that we're focused on. I mean, there's a few others as well, but again, that those are the three major things that we're focused on that I think differentiate us from the competition. And how have you been able to sort of come to this, uh, to be able to develop something that, that is different than, than what's available? What's going on inside engineering wise to allow this to happen? Well, I think it's continual pushing of, you know, taking a look at the clinical needs and making sure that we set a high bar for ourselves. So, you know, when it comes to introducer size, uh, there's a lot of engineering that goes into making the valve be able to withstand being crimped down to that small diameter, as well as be delivered through the small catheter. So we mandate a, a kind of a high bar for our engineers in terms of the clinical need. And, and, and it'd be, it would be easy to to say, oh, you know, we're going to stop at 34 French or 35 French. But I think, you know, everybody on the team is really committed to delivering the product that they think is going to be competitive in the marketplace. So I think it's making sure that we maintain a high technical clinical standard and that we never forget the the clinical needs that that really were part of the founding of the company. So how does your smaller delivery system and the smaller sizes overall, if you have approval, who would you be able to treat that currently is not treatable? Yeah, we don't have approval. So we're still waiting to do our first in man. So we're getting very close to doing our first in human. So I would say from a patient access standpoint, the biggest effect of our approach should be the less LVOT obstruction. Because if you look at exclusion criteria for many of the TMVR trials today, and there's a few of them that are going on, LVOT obstruction, it's screened out before the patients actually get the device because they can look at a CT scan and predict if there's going to be an obstruction here. So it's a major exclusion for many of these competitive designs. And so the design imperative that comes from that means that you need a smaller and a more centrally mounted valve. And that's what we've done. So I don't think you can eliminate LVOT obstruction. Yeah. That's very, very difficult, but I think you can minimize it. And that's what we're, that when I would think about patient access, I think about LVOT obstruction. Let's talk about the, the business side. You recently, uh, last month, February 9th, announced the closing of a Series C, $30 million. How much have you raised total, including that round? So we've raised $75 million in venture money, and then we had another $2.5 million in seed money from the preceding the company start. So 77 total. 
for a Series C, I mean, it's it's a, on the higher end for sure. Is this an expensive space to to run a company? And I imagine must be because of the testing. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. I mean, there's no sort of small or, or easy way to do a valve. And and I, I'm sure some of the listeners who have been involved in the structural hard space know the challenges of it. But I think the structural reliability alone of the valve itself and the implant itself is a massive undertaking and a big project. So not only do you have the implants that you have to develop and all the testing and durability testing you have to do on the implant, but you also have the delivery system. And there's there's a lot of components to the delivery system. So it's not just a matter of making one delivery catheter. We, there are actually several catheters that work together in tandem. So you're really making a family of devices and you're actually developing a procedure, which is also really unique, at least from what I've been involved with previously, is that you have to develop a procedure around the use of the devices. So, but going back to the implant side, I think we've had probably almost 30 different iterations of the valve since we started. Literally, we've gone until recently when we froze the design, we were continually changing it and optimizing it for stress and fatigue and for packability and for durability and for minimizing PVL and all the things that are important in humans. It's taken a lot of iterations to get to where we are today. And that's expensive. Uh, that mm-hmm. really is. So, And I want to learn how the money will be used, but let's just talk for a moment about the, the fundraising process itself. How did that uh, come together for you? What is the market like for those outside trying to raise capital and, and what are some uh, some secrets you can share, some hacks yeah. for raising $30 million Series C? <laughs> well, the secret is to be part of Shifamed. Um, <laughs> so that, that's that's the short of it. But I, yeah, I think it's this is a famously difficult space, uh, yeah. time to raise money for, for any company, even my medical device companies, but all companies. We are extremely fortunate to have a group of really committed and resolute investors at Chief Ahmed, including TCP and Cormorant and AMED and, and a couple of others as well. Because these firms invest kind of across the board. They're really committed to the all the different companies that that have come out of Shifamed, and so we've been really fortunate to be able to raise money in this time. And I think you know it, it, that just goes to to the ecosystem, to Shifamed ecosystem, and to our investors. Uh, we're really grateful for it. And how how long do you uh, anticipate this capital will last, or, or what sort of milestones are you hoping to achieve with it? Yeah, so this money will last us to the third quarter of next year, to the third quarter of twenty twenty four, and. Our objectives are to obviously get into humans with the 28 French system, which we're very close to doing, and then to be an early feasibility uh, study in the United States with the device. So we've already begun engaging with the FDA, and that's a very long and involved process, but it's one that we're definitely well prepared for. Do you have a sense of, of how big the trials will need to be and, and what they're going to look like? Or is that too early yeah, for that? So I, I mean, the EFS trial tends to be on the smaller side. You know, I, I don't have a specific number for you. And then obviously the pivotal trials are are quite large. And and I don't I don't have a specific number for that. But I think if you look at the existing trials that are out there, they're in the hundreds or or even lower thousands of patients. You know, a lot of it depends on what you're looking for for the indication, but that's a ways that's still ways off for us. Okay. Great. Anything I'm not asking about that people should know about uh about Tioga? Yeah, I mean I, I again I, I think that we are, you know, it's it's a fantastic team. We've really been able to make a lot of progress in the last six to 12 months, and we're getting very close to human use. So I, I think that there's going to be a lot of exciting news coming out in the next few months, next six to 12 months for Tioga. So it's a big time for us. We are very resolute and committed to reducing mitral regurgitation. There's some technologies out there on the repair side that work pretty well, but still mm-hmm. leave residual mitral regurgitation. 
And as a TMVR company, we believe that no MR is good MR. So that's really what the mantra is of the company, because we believe ultimately that's going to be better for patients is, is to completely reduce MR. That really is what we're focused on. Fantastic. Well, I love a good startup story. Thanks for, for sharing yours and being on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, Chris Newmarker, that is a wrap. Where can, uh, once again, folks find you on social media? Hey, the best place is LinkedIn. Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. Absolutely. And I'm on LinkedIn as well. Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I. I am on, on Twitter again, sort of at MedTechTom. And uh, I'm on Instagram, but uh, MedTechTom, but still not really doing that very much. But anyway, uh, please, yeah. uh, please let folks know about this podcast. Chris, what do we ask folks to do so kindly? Hey, you got to like, follow, subscribe. Right. Like, follow, and or subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network. You'll get this podcast every week. You'll get Striker Talks Podcasts. You'll get Intuitive Talks Podcasts. And soon you'll get your Boston Scientific Talks Podcast. We're hoping to launch that. We will launch that later this month. And, uh, of course, subscribe separately to Medtronic Talks. They have their own channel. All are available on every podcast application. And uh, it's a great way to keep track of uh, track of these companies and uh, to, to understand what they're working on and, and possibly, you know, what opportunities are out there for the future where, where folks may be looking to expand. So uh, a, whole so, sm- a whole wealth of information, a smorgasbord of information. Absolutely. But the one thing you won't find there is pumpkin sausages. No, you not. not. Gonna, see there, I worked at that. Got to work <laughs> at it once, Tom. Gotta... And uh, we'll yeah. be back uh, to, uh, to in-person meetings. Well, well, we'll be back to Device Talks Boston, May 10th and 11th. Uh, once again, if you uh, are listening to this on the uh, the 10th or 11th of March, you still have time to get our early bird rate. I, I asked uh, our great folks in marketing to keep the keep that door open for a couple more days. So you'll get in for $395, which is $300 off the uh, the full registration price, we'll, which will kick in immediately after. So uh, it's going to be a great, uh, great uh, couple of days. As I mentioned at the top, mm-hmm. we're uh, we're well ahead of last year in terms of registration. So it, it's it's uh, it's going to be a, a a busy. I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be, be good. good. Yeah, it's Look, great. Ne- looking forward to Boston. It's going to be great. Great networking opportunity. We'll have our robotics meetings. We'll have a robotics job fair. So lots of lots of great stuff going on. So don't miss the opportunity. Yeah, Go the to only thing, the only thing better in the the only thing better in the northern U.S. than uh, seeing a robin in a tree this time of year is being an early bird. <laughs> you you have these uh you have these sayings you're very folksy christian <laughs> it's like doing a podcast I, I kinda, with will rogers it's great i kind of grew up in a folksy place uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right well that is a, a wrap don't forget device talks tuesdays uh coming up four o'clock on tuesday make sure you, you go to device talks.com for uh, information about that and register for that it's free great way to build your brand to build your knowledge and uh i'll talk to you then all right christian Mark. Thanks for uh, hey. for doing what you do. Hey, you too, Simon. Yeah, take care, everybody. 